they fed me too well last night, so I know that's not my stomach. Um, I guess y'all were anticipating a dry sermon this morning. That's why I got the two cups. It is good to be with you all. Uh, we enjoyed our time yesterday uh, tremendously and enjoyed uh, the uh, food last night. It was a real, real good time. I got to know some of you folks. I apologize. I, I tried to make my way around this morning and, and shake some hands. If I didn't get to shake your hand, please don't throw anything at me this morning. I really had hoped to meet you, and, and afterwards uh, I look forward to meeting you. I, I guess the, the uh, lesson here is if you were in the back, you didn't get your hand shaken, so you, next time we'll find you on the front row, I hope. But uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, my wife, Allison, and, and baby Sarah, would you stand up for just a second and let everybody get a look? Uh, this is our nine-day-old baby. This is our youngest, Sarah, and my beautiful wife, Allison. Thank you. Uh, we left. We played it safe. We're smart. We left our other three kids at home. We have our oldest. Is, no, actually, we didn't leave them at home. We left them with Nanny and Papa. <laughs> Boy, I'm done, right? <laughs> uh, Faith is our oldest, and Faith is five years old, and she's our drama queen. Uh, we also have Lucas. He's our only boy. And uh, Lucas is three, and he's a handful. He is all boy. And then we have Karis, and Karis is the Greek word for grace. And uh, she is 22 months. So uh, we do have a house full, and my wife is my hero. Uh, she's a full-time stay-at-home mom and, and does a wonderful job with the kids. And I've been able to help her out a little bit here recently. And, uh, but uh, it, uh, children are indeed a blessing from the Lord, and we're grateful for the ones that we have been blessed with. I was able last night to speak to a couple of people, and, and I got to speaking to Henry over here, and, and I appreciate his heart, him, he and his wife, and he was telling me a little bit about the mission trip they're getting ready to go on. And another thing I noticed last night, he gave the waitress a Bible and a million dollars. And I was like, wow, a million dollars. He actually uh, had showed me these tracks, and I, and I used to have a stack of these myself. Uh, how many of you in here are familiar, other than Henry, because I know we talked, are familiar with the Way of the Master program? You've heard of the Way of the Master. Okay, a couple of you familiar with that. Uh, the message this morning may be somewhat familiar because um, this message is modeled from the Way of the Master approach. When I was exposed to the Way of the Master, Way of Evangelism, uh, it just revamped the way I do evangelism. It revamped the way that I share the gospel. And so uh, this morning, for those of you who are familiar with that, uh, you may recognize some of the Ray Comfort, Kirk Cameron approach in sharing uh, my faith. And I encourage, if you haven't checked that out, to go online and look at it. It is amazing. Um, but we're speaking of missions trip. I, I actually got to take a group this uh, past summer on a short-term missions trip. And we went to the western part of the state, went to the mountains, went to West Jefferson, and also to Boone and up around the App State area. And uh, we got to do a lot of work projects, and we also uh, went out and did some open-air evangelism. And one of the things that we did during our open-air evangelism was we went out and we did these surveys. And we would ask people on the street, hey, if you're willing to take a brief survey, we have a free T-shirt we'd like to give you. It's amazing. If you're giving away something free, how many people will line up? And so what we did was we actually took this little survey, and this comes from Way of the Master. And I want to try this survey on a few of you today. How many of you know when you come to church, it's not a, it's not a, a sport where you um, spectate? 
You know, a lot of people think you come to church and it's just you sit and listen to the pastor. No, it's a participant. You have to participate. Uh, that's part of worship. And we actually heard that this morning in Sunday school. David Jeremiah brought that fact up again. So some of you are going to participate this morning. So I hope you don't mind me picking on you for a little bit. But I want to give you a quick survey and ask you some of these tough questions. Am I going to be able to walk out here? Or Okay. Um, somebody out here saying, please turn that sound up so he doesn't come any further. Um, and, and it gets even better. This actually is an intelligent test. So uh, some of you better be ready. Okay. I'm going to start off kind of easy. I'm going to start with maybe uh, one of the younger folks. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a quick question here, young man. What's your name again? Micah. Micah. Okay, Micah. I'm Jeremy. Micah, here's your first question, okay? How many of each animal did Moses take into the ark? Zero. Why is that? Oh, give him a hand. Man, that's smart fella right there. I picked the wrong one to start with. Good answer. That's exactly right. You get a check mark there. Give him a star today. All right, let's see. We're going to move up the line a little bit. How about you, young lady? What's your name? You're, you're who? Mary. Nice to meet you, Mary. I'm Jeremy. How about this? What is the name of the raised, you know, the raised print that deaf people use? What is that called? The, you know, the raised print. You know, like if I'm trying to find the men's restroom, uh, it's the, you know, it's the one that the, the deaf people use. It's the little, what's that called? The little dots, okay. Uh, somebody help her. What's it called? Braille. That would be true if it were for the blind, but that was for the deaf. So that's a good try. But see, they didn't do any better, did they? Okay, here's my next question. I'll just kind of throw this out. Is it, is it possible to end a sentence with the word the? How many people think it is? Raise your hand. How many people think it's not? Just did. That's right. I'll tell you what, this crowd's tough. Henry, you should have warned me about this. Okay, I'm not going to put you on the spot with this one. Uh, but basically, these, we would use this. And, and the questions at first, just as you reacted, the people laughed. They, they, they laugh at themselves because they realize they mess up. Uh, one of my favorites, this would always get people, we'd ask them, spell the word silk. Go ahead and spell it out loud. S-I-L-K. What do cows drink? No, they drink water. They give milk. <laughs> yeah, maybe we weren't so smart after all. <laughs> but you know what? This is, a, this is the reason why I love this approach in evangelism. Because just as you're reacting, if you do this on the street, people react the same way. They laugh. Their guard is down. And then we move into more serious questions. Now, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot for this one. I know better. But I want us to think of the answers uh, in our own heart here. How many of the Ten Commandments can you name? And I'm going to make it even tougher because, hey, we're the body of Christ. How many of you can name them in order? Now just think for a second. Let's just ponder that in your own heart. Okay? And you know what? Since there is a group of you, you can help out each other. So let's go through it. What's the first one? Have no other gods. What's number two? No what? 
graven image. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, on this one, I actually offer a $10 bill. I didn't tell you that, did I? But I, I will offer, to, and, and I will tell you, I have never lost a $10 bill yet. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know how many times we've encountered fine church folks, youth groups, and I think, I'm losing this $10 bill. No one has ever gotten this right. The Ten Commandments in order. All right, how about number three? What's the third command? I'm hearing some. You shall not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. All right, how about number four? Sabbath. That's it. Keep the Sabbath holy. Okay. How about number five? What's number five? Come on, kids. Yeah, honor your parents. There's a mom that's proud. That's good. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, how about number six? That's right. Thou shalt not kill. Good, good. How about this one? Number seven. I heard it. Shall not commit adultery. All right. They got smart on the back row. They got the Bible open, the Exodus. They're like, I'm just kidding. All right. How about this one? Um, number nine. Did I skip eight? I did, didn't I? Well, we don't want to steal away from the text. So what's number eight? All right. All right. Thou shalt not steal. How about number nine? Shall not lie. And last, shall not covet. Isn't that amazing, guys? And listen, I, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. The first time I got confronted with that question, I struggled. Just like we all did in here. And yet these are God's perfect, righteous standards. I mean, you want an embodiment of, of the character of God and who God represents. It's found there, isn't it? That's his moral law. And yeah, I know we're no longer under law, but I think those are pretty practical still today, right? Well, I bring that out because in today's message, uh, we're going to find out um, that Christ, when he was here on the earth, he used this in his method of evangelism. That's why this program is called The Way of the Master, because the Master showed us how we are to witness. And it's amazing that for many of us, we've never been exposed to this truth. So follow with me, if you would, and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And I'll go ahead and apologize up front. I have this nasty cough I've had for three weeks. Uh, I'm still waiting on the results to see if the swine flu. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that's a bad joke. Um, but I do have this call, so if I hack in the middle of it, please forgive me. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 and following. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. 
Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to the truth of your word. And Lord, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit that I would be a clean vessel, that you would just use me today to equip the saints. Lord, we need to be about your business. We need to share our faith. Help us, Lord, to be better equipped as we look at the example of Christ before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, That Camel's Never Gonna Fit. That Camel's Never Gonna Fit. You know, interesting story. <coughs> Here is this young ruler and you got to realize jesus is on his way uh, to jerusalem a great number of people have amassed obviously this time of year and jesus has been teaching and if you if you notice the preceding text speaks of when all the little children were coming to him and and the disciples kind of got a little upset about it and he said no 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 let it, don't 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 turn the children away let them come because you know what you've got to be like a child in order to uh, enter into the kingdom of god and I believe this young ruler, I believe he was there. And I believe he heard this. And Jesus begins on his way again. And another text um, in one of the other Gospels says that he come running to Jesus and knelt before him. And can you imagine? I mean, you talk about an opportunity. Just imagine you're at work tomorrow. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what do I got to do to go to heaven? I mean, can you imagine just somebody asking you, what do I got to do to be saved? My first thought, how many of us could give a clear answer? Now, let's be honest, that doesn't always happen, does it? But it happened here. And it's interesting, if you'll look in the text with me, he comes to Jesus and he asks him, what shall I do? To inherit eternal life the first thing Jesus is going to do he showed him the law that's the first thing he's going to do here in this text that's my first point he showed him the law now it's interesting because the guy asked there's a first off there's a problem in his question the problem is 
what must I do? We can do nothing. In and of ourselves, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. And so, Jesus does not respond with an answer. I mean, you would think if somebody comes up to me and asks this, I, I'm ready, I, you know, I want to give this, man, this is exciting. And yet, Jesus, it seems like he kind of detours the question. Notice what he says. Verse 19. The guy asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He called him, good master, what do I need to do? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's only one who's good. That's God. You see, Jesus is laying a little foundational work here. He's, he's questioning this man's concept of what good is. And you know, when we do this on the street, it's interesting because the Bible actually tells us that man will sing his own praises. You don't have to ask somebody, um, you know, whether or not they're good. Normally, they're telling you how good they are, right? And, but if you do ask somebody, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Most always, they will respond with, sure. I've never killed anybody. That's a typical response. So therefore, they're good. But again, what is the measuring stick for what's good? Well, see, Jesus is wanting him to know there, there's only one in which we need to measure ourselves by, and that's God. And God is the only one who is good. So Jesus points him to, uh, to that, and notice where he takes him. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good, just that one, and that's God. Um, I also believe this is the way Jesus is making a claim of his deity. And um, I, I believe that's also found here. But notice what he does, verse 20. He says to this young ruler, which, by the way, may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. But he says to him, you know the commandments. And notice what Jesus says. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, Jesus is very specific here. He does not name the first four commandments. And I think this is intentional. You see, the Ten Commandments have been divided. The first four are what we considered Godward commandments. Think through those first four commandments, right? No, um, no other gods, no graven image. Don't use the Lord's name in vain, right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Those are all Godward. The second part, the second tablet, the other six, are what we call manward commandments. Jesus mentions the manward commandments. And again, I think this is intentional, and I'll explain why in just a moment. It's uh, another way of putting that, the, the, hor the um, horizontal, the vertical commandments, and even Jesus himself. How did he sum up the commandments? Love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second is likened unto this, love thy neighbor as thyself. You see? So that's how those commandments are summed up. But Jesus just names the man word. Why does he do this? Well, let's look at the text. And he said, the young ruler responding, says, all these I've kept from my youth up. Again, I think he heard Jesus speaking to these young children. You've got to be like a little kid. This guy, he's been doing this since he was a kid. 
right? He's sort of giving himself a pat on the back. It's self-righteousness. I've done this. And you know what? Uh, again, we find that in, as I go around and I witness to people, and you know how it is too, if you've, if you've ever shared your faith, everybody in North Carolina is saved, you know. I mean, you, you can't meet a person who's not a Christian. And again, there's this misunderstanding of what it means, first off, to be a Christian. But I believe what's going on here is Jesus is exposing this man's condition. And in order to do that, he uses the law. Wow. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians 3.24. Galatians 3.24. As you turn there, um, Psalm 19.7 basically tells us this. The law is perfect, converting the soul. But listen to what Galatians says, verse 3.24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. There are other passages throughout Scripture that give us this truth. The Ten Commandments we know, the law was given originally to show man his condition, that there is nothing you and I can do to ever earn salvation. We will never be good enough. The law tells you and me that we are guilty before a holy God, that we fall short of His glory. His standard is perfection, and we are imperfect, right? Well, that's what Jesus is doing here, because man has to first see his lostness before he can see his need of a Savior. Now, I'm not going to suspect that everyone here today, just because you're in church, that you are what the Bible calls born again that you have truly been converted. Because I believe in churches all across the world, there are many people who are banking their salvation on the fact that they have said a prayer. I find nowhere in Scripture that if you repeat this prayer, you are born again. Now please understand what I'm saying. Can and does God use prayer to convert the heart. Of course, we have to speak to God in that moment. But I believe there's a thing called easy believism that's going on where we are leading people astray. And, and some of you may be here this morning, as I was when I was a young teenager, I went forward, I said a prayer, and I got up and the guy gave me assurance that, did you say that prayer? Yes. Did you mean it? Sure. Praise the Lord, you're born again. I was no more converted at that moment than I had been before I went forward. Did I want to go to heaven? Sure. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? You want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. That's a no-brainer. But it wasn't magic words that converts you. And we'll see in this text what Jesus calls you and I to do in order to experience the new birth. And it's very important because, again, I believe that Satan has sold the church a bill of goods that is no good. And we're banking on a prayer or an altar call for our salvation experience. 
follow with me. Notice what Jesus does. He takes him to the law. He showed him the law. He shows him the law so that he can show him his sinfulness. The guy thinks he's okay. Hey, I've done this. I've kept those commandments. Remember, it's the man with commandments. He feels good about himself. He's put it in modern day terms. He was a good Sunday churchgoer. He was okay. So he thought. Notice. Now Jesus heard these things. He said unto him, You know what? You lack one thing. You say you've done all these commandments. You lack one thing. I want you to take all of your goods, everything you possess, I want you to sell it. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This young man is now faced with a decision. Do I give my life up? I mean, this is my life. By the way, doesn't the Bible tell us wherever our, our treasures are, that's where our heart is. This man's treasures were his earthly goods, his wealth, his riches. And that was where his heart was. And the text tells us that when Jesus asked him to give that up, now is Jesus teaching that you got to get rid of, you know, sell all your stuff and, and, and you got to go to be, you know, a poverty person just to, in order to get to heaven? He's, he's not teaching that. What he's teaching is where's your heart? Who has your heart? Does God have your heart? Or do the temporal things of this world have your heart? Notice, Jesus said, the guy is very sorrowful, verse 23, verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus first, he showed him the law. Verses 22 and 23, Jesus showed him what he lacked. And what he lacked was a saving relationship. But the problem was, he wasn't willing to surrender his heart and his life to the Lord. I think there's a lot of people in the church, they're okay with saying a prayer. They may even be okay with coming to an altar. And emotionally in the moment, they feel sorry about something they've done. But I wonder how many of them get up from there and are more concerned with the riches of their life. There are things in this world that they do not want to surrender, and therefore that has become their God. You see, I think Jesus is trying to show him the one thing that he lacks. And reverting back to the law, because the young man, again, he knew the law, he knew the commandments. Jesus gave him the manward commandments. He did not give him the Godward commandments. And he says, you lack one thing. Jesus summed those commandments up in two. He only revealed the one, loving your neighbor as yourself. He said, I've done this. But the one thing he lacked was the Godward, the heart towards God. This is what he's trying to show him, I believe. I believe he's, and by the way, the guy thought he was so good and thought he'd kept all the commandments. 
Which one had he broken? The first one, right? The second one. He, he, he had created a God for himself in his own mind. His riches had taken the place of the true God. Here was the, the one good in front of him, Christ Jesus. And Jesus was calling him to come and follow. And yet he loved his life greater than he loved the Lord. This is the message we need to be sharing with people. I really believe that we do an injustice today, and that's why we, we have a weakened church all around the world. Um, but, but again, stay with me. And I know some of you are wondering where I'm going with this. Don't worry. It's not, it, we're getting there. He showed him the law. He showed him what he lacked. By the way, for those of us that may be sitting here, when it comes to God's perfect standard, how would you do? Let's take another quiz. When we do this survey on the street, it progresses and gets more serious in the questions. We eventually get into, is there a God? Yes or no. Does God care about right and wrong? Yes or no. Are God's standards the same as ours? Yes or no. Will God punish sin? Yes or no. Is there a hell? Yes or no. And the last question we ask on this survey is, do you avoid hell by living a good life? You will be amazed how many people in that last question will say yes. They believe you avoid hell by living a good life. So at that point, I'll ask them, as I'm going to ask you, well, do you consider yourself to be a good person? We're going to take another quiz and see how we do. All right, how many of you in here, show of hands, have you ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you can join the crowd now because you just told one. Okay? All right, how about this one? Have you ever stolen anything? It doesn't matter the value, folks. You could have taken a piece of gum from your neighbor. You can put your hands down now. I know that's a tough one to keep. But think about it. It doesn't matter the value. If I've got a dollar in my wallet or a hundred dollars and you take it without permission, it's not yours. Stealing. By the way, what do you call somebody who tells a lie? Liar. What do you call somebody who steals? Stealer only if you're in Pittsburgh. It's a thief. Right? Okay. How about this one? And don't raise your hand on this one. <laughs> Have you maybe ever used God's name as a uh, cuss word? You know? Maybe even uh, for, for the young generation that loves texting. By the way, my fingers are good to go with that. OMG, please don't use that. We know what it means. Anytime you use God's name meaninglessly, it's using it in vain. God says that's blasphemy. And they used to, they, would, they didn't even know his name. They couldn't write his name. They wouldn't pronounce his name. This is the same God. How about this one? And don't raise your hand, but 
We'll ask this one as well. Have you ever looked at someone and lusted for them? Jesus said, to look upon a woman, to lust after her in your heart is to commit adultery. Because in your heart you have. And God looks on the heart of man. Guys, do you realize, based upon your own admission, based upon my own admission, we are liars, we are thieves, we are blasphemers, and we are adulterers. And if God judges us based upon His righteous standard, would you and I be innocent or guilty? When we ask this on the street, it is amazing. At this point, the light goes off and people realize sometimes for the first time, they're guilty. They've just told me they're a liar. They've just told me they're, they've stolen. Because by the way, how many people do you got to murder before you're a murderer? Just one. How many lies do you got to tell before you're a liar? Just one. By the way, for those of you who think you're okay, maybe you missed out on a few of those, James 2.11 says that if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of all. So the guy that just told me, well, I've never killed anybody, guess what? By the way, hate your brother, Jesus said, that's murder. We're guilty. We are all guilty. The law shows us we're guilty. And so when I share this on the street with people, they begin to recognize, you know what, I am guilty. So then I ask them, as I ask you this morning, if you stood before God based upon that, He were to judge you based upon that, would you be innocent or guilty? I guess I'd be guilty. If you're guilty, would you deserve heaven or would you deserve hell? Now, a lot of times people will say, well, I deserve heaven. Well, why so? Because God's a good God and He forgives. Well, that may be true. But let's take that down to the local courthouse. What county is this again? It's Lenore County, right? Well, let's say we go down to the Lenore County Courthouse. You've been drug in before the judge, and you're brought before the judge, and the judge says, how do you plead on stealing that car? Judge, I'm guilty, but I only did it once. How do you plead um, on the case of, of the murder because you ran over the curb and, and hit the nice old lady who was taking cookies to her neighbor? Yeah, I'm guilty. Okay. Do you admit you're guilty? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty on those. But again, only uh, just, just that once. I've done a lot better since then. Okay, before I pass judgment, what do you have to say for yourself? Now imagine, you're at the Lenore County Courthouse, the judge asks you, what do you have to say for yourself before I pass judgment? And you say, judge, I believe you'll forgive me because I've heard you're a good, good judge and you forgive. What does he what is he going to do? He's going to lock you away and throw away the key. Because if he's a good judge, he has to ex execute punishment, correct? You see, when we tell this, a lot of times for the first time, people realize they are guilty. And if they got what they deserved, they deserve hell. And I'll usually at this moment ask, doesn't that concern you? It should concern you. I mean, I just met you, and it concerns me. 
at this moment is when we administer grace. You see, grace makes no sense if we don't think we need it. Forgiveness makes no sense if I don't think I've done anything wrong where I need forgiveness. And Jesus, not only here, but go through the other cases. The woman at the well, what law did he use to convict her? What was it? He asked her where was what? Her husband's? And did she, as this young ruler, show pride? See, this young ruler showed pride. Oh, I've kept those. But what did the young woman do? Did she so did she show uh, pride or humility? She showed humility because she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you say right. You see, she was humbled. The law comes so that we can be humbled, so that we can recognize our sinfulness, so that we can in that moment recognize our need because we're guilty before a holy, just God. At this moment, we can give grace. Notice what happens back in our text. Jesus showed him the law. He showed him what he lacked. And in verses 24 through 30, he showed his disciples what they should learn. Notice with me what we need to learn. Verses 24, And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? Now, I've heard a lot of people teach that, oh, well, there was this gate and the camel used to kneel and go through. Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying here. His disciples got it. They figured it out. He's making the illustration. If you've got a little needle, is there any way this big honking camel is going to be able to fit through that? No, that's ridiculous. That's why the disciples all go, well, then who can be saved? This is impossible. And Jesus responds, verse 27, the, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Praise the Lord. Jesus is trying to teach this rich young ruler, it's not about you. You can never be good enough. You will never be able to uphold the commandments. That's why I gave them. It's a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. It's to teach you that you're lost and you're in need of a Savior. You're not perfect. You're imperfect. You're in a fallen state. And only God can reach down to man to save him. Man cannot reach to God and be saved. The problem is religion teaches us, and if you look at all world religions, the difference between uh, world religions and true Christianity is world religions say you've got to do something. And they're attempting to get to God. But Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is God reaching down to man in the person of Christ Jesus, offering the grace and forgiveness that's needed to pay our penalty. We're back in Lenore Courthouse. The judges ask us, how do you plead? I'm guilty, sir. I'm guilty. Before I pass judgment, do you have anything you need, that you want to say? And at that moment, up steps in front of us. Someone who says, what is the fine? Their fine is half a million dollars. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have half a million dollars, okay? I'm getting ready to go to jail for a long time because I ain't got it. 
The judge says half a million is the fine. That's the penalty that needs to be paid. And that person says in the Lenore County Courthouse, Judge, I'm going to pay their fine on their behalf. The money's paid. The judge says, case dismissed. You're free to go. What is your attitude? What is your heart towards this person who just paid a fine you could never pay? I asked this once to a youth group, and this guy just he just responded and blurted that out. He said, I'd be that person's slave for the rest of my life. He didn't even realize what he was saying. And I said, that's exactly right. Jesus Christ is that person. 2,000 years ago, he stepped into time and he went to a cross and he paid your penalty, he paid my penalty because you and I fall way short of perfection. But Jesus is perfection. And he came to pay our penalty that you and I owe. And he demands our offer. He deserves our heart. He deserves our life. He deserves first place. He deserves for you and I to follow Him, to take up our cross, whatever it may be, and follow Him. That's the good news. Jesus paid the penalty that we cannot pay. And that's the message that we need to be telling others. Salvation doesn't come by the law. Let me say that again. Salvation does not come by the law, but God's grace. The law shows we're guilty. God's grace shows us forgiveness. You notice Peter in the end here, and I'm just about to close. Verse 28, Then Peter said, Lo, We've left all and followed them. You gotta love Peter. Peter's, you know, wanting a little assurance. And isn't that like all of us? I mean, for those of us who have come to a point in our life where we've surrendered our life to follow Christ, we've given our heart to the Lord, we've been born again. Sometimes you still you just need a little assurance, right? I think Peter's wanting a little assurance. We've done this. We've given up everything to follow you, right? And Jesus gives him that assurance. Verily I say unto you. By the way, he's speaking. Therefore, we can find our encouragement in the words of Christ. We can find our encouragement in the word of God. There is no man that have left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Jesus wanted them to learn this important message. You know, there are many of us who come to church and we're like the rich young ruler. We think we're okay. But truth be known, we've never given our heart and life to Jesus Christ. Will you be like the rich young ruler and, and have pride and say, well, you know what, I, I, I've said that prayer. Or will you be like the woman at the well? humble, recognizing, God, I'm guilty. 
And Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Save my soul. I want to follow you. Is that where you're at this morning? I hope so. How do we apply what we've learned? Let me ask you like Jesus said to the young ruler. Let me put it to you this way. What do you need to sell? What do you need to sell this morning? What do you need to give up? Is there something that's holding you back from coming to the cross? And even for you who are believers, maybe something's crept into your life. Something else is on the throne of your heart. Can I encourage you this morning to surrender that? Just give it up. I believe Jesus is still calling people to surrender all, take up their cross, and follow Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for first off, your law. Because it's through the law that we recognize that we are lost sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, I, I am grateful for that because it also points to Christ. Christ is the one who came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. He's the perfect requirement. And Lord, thank you for sending him. We give you praise, Lord, that Christ came in the form of a man and robed in flesh and yet walked sinless through this life so that perfection could be seen. And he went to a cruel cross and he paid a penalty that, that I owe, that we owe. And Lord, we know that it's by faith, by grace, that we can be forgiven. But Lord, you're calling us to come. You're calling us to come to you, to surrender all, to follow you, to give you our heart, to be, as the Bible would say, born again. And your word promises, if anyone comes, you will not cast them out. Father, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would search every heart in this room. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning that does not know you, they have never come to that point, pride is keeping them back, I pray that today they would be broken and that the Holy Spirit of God would draw them to you, Father. And Lord, I just pray that the saints would pray that if there is even one soul lost here today, I pray that they join with me in praying that the convicting power of God would work on the heart of that person. And Lord, I ask that you do what only you can do. So Father, would you search our hearts and minds now? Would you speak to us in this moment? And with all eyes closed and no one looking around, anyone, be honest before the Lord. Thank you. Father, you know the hearts of these folks. And I pray that you would continue to draw them. And Lord, let them know that if they will surrender their heart, their life, to you, Lord. For you've promised whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, I pray that today they would lay it down at the foot of the cross. Bring them salvation that only you can bring, Lord. And Father, we thank you again for this opportunity. And each Christian that's here today, if you need to do business in the moment of this uh, last hymn, I just pray that you, you do what God asks you to do. Just be sensitive to what God tells you to do. And let him lead in this invitation. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn and turn to page 366. 366, 366. 